Welcome back to Artwatch Podcast. I hope you've had a great week. I just wanted to start off by saying that I'd love to try something new so that way I'm always active on Instagram. Um, if throughout the week you want to send me some of your art history memes or related memes, um, go ahead and message them to me on Instagram. My Instagram is Artwatch Podcast. And I would hope that I could have these all up on Monday so that way Mondays can be meme Mondays. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead and send me your best memes. If you know the creator or you created it yourself, go ahead and give credit to them and I will do the same in any posts that I make. Um, of course, I'll tag you and if you were not the creator but you know who they were, um, I'll give them credit and I'll tag them if I can. And then also, if you live in the US, which I think at this point most of my listeners do, um, make sure that you have voted or you have made a plan to vote before the election on November 3rd. Um, yeah, there's a lot at stake, I'm sure you all know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and jump into this week's episode, which is going to be about Tarsila Joao Morel. She is a Brazilian painter and she is probably one of the most well-known painters or well or most renowned painters simply because of some of the work that she's produced. All right, so Tarsila Dormorel was born in 1886 in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and this was actually two years before um, slavery was outlawed in Brazil. So this is gonna be a really important role later on in the discussion. Her family was quite wealthy. They owned a coffee plantation, which at the time was one of Brazil's biggest exports. Um, her family did own slaves and she grew up, of course, like, you know, she was only two at the time. Slavery became outlawed, but her family still had, at that point, employed, switched to employment, rather, in air quotes. Um, many of the African enslaved people that they had originally had in the plantation. So she, I'm going to jump forward a bit. I'm going to jump to her, the movements that she's a part of, which she's most known for being a part of the anthropophagist group. So basically that term anthropophagia translates to cannibalism in English. And the idea behind this group was that they were cannibalizing, quote, quote, European culture and recontextualizing art themes for the Brazilian audience. Um, they pull this from the concept of uh, cannibalism, I should say. They pull this from the Tupi in Brazil, which is an indigenous group that is apparently well known for cannibalistic practices. Now, of course, thinking back to colonization and how European countries implemented Christianity, it's likely that if this indigenous group did practice cannibalism, it was not to the extent that it was reported. So there are actually some ethnographic paintings of, of uh, the colonial period that depict um, this particular indigenous group with having baskets of, of human limbs, like hands and feet, and so it was, it was really meant to barbarize this group. So there's a lot to unpack in that term in general. So this term anthropophagia, it's 
also a metaphor for the state of Brazil at the time for leaning too much into European movements. So it's this critique not only of the arts world, but of the political role as well. The movement does have quite a few participants in it, and it lasts for quite some time. Because I am trying to keep this only on Joao Moral, I'm going to intentionally bypass all of that, which if you are interested in it, there is a lot of, or I don't want to say a lot, there's a fair amount of scholarship on this period of art. So you can find something either at your local library or if you are at a university, I'm certain there's something on this work if you have access to like JSTOR or anything like that. Um, but jumping back to Joan Morel. She ends up studying in Paris, like a lot of other wealthy artists, and this is at the time where primitivism, which is already a controversial term in itself, but for the lack of another term, I'm going to go ahead and use it, um, where you have artists that are using non-Western, quote, remember the big air quotes of non-Western, styles. Specifically in Europe, they're pulling from Africa. Now, this is problematic for a lot of reasons, but then you have artists that come from Latin America, and it's not just Brazil. There are other um, Latin American countries that do this as well, but they... It's almost as if there is this intrinsic, like, oh, well, we're not European, we have a different experience, so it's okay for us to take this. Which is not. It's not okay. Let's go ahead and put that out there. Um, but what Jamaral does is she takes Brazilian African, so Afro-Brazilian motifs, um, or ideas, and she applies them to the Afro-Brazilian woman, and she uses this as a way to market herself in Paris to make her career a little bit, to make her career like a little bit more successful. In Brazil, she was kind of in the middle, like she wasn't like torn apart, like her paintings weren't hated, but she also wasn't like seen as the pinnacle of Brazilian identity. But her husband, um, Oswald de Andrade, takes some of her early uh, painting ideas and he creates this manifesto which is called um it's called the anthropophagic manifesto like translated to english and really that manifesto like i said earlier it critiques brazilian the brazilian art scene and it critiques the brazilian politics of the period um and it's using the word anthropophagio which i think that's how you say it in portuguese i i do not speak Portuguese, so if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but it, it looks at the idea of cannibalism, cannibalizing European ideas, cannibalizing what's happening, and like recontextualizing it to fit the Brazilian narrative. But when Tarsila is in Paris, she uses Afro-Brazilian identity to differentiate herself from the primitivists that are in Europe by making this claim that, well, you have to look outside of European practice, whereas I only have to look into Brazil. Now, that's very simplistic, but that's basically what's happening, not just with her, but with other, um, with other artists of this movement that are in Brazil. So she's not the only one to, to do this. 
and her first painting called Abaporu, which was painted in 1928 and was actually given to her husband for his birthday. And basically what this image is, is a stylized female figure with enormous feet and they're sitting next to a cactus. Um, and the idea was that this gigantic foot connects you more to the, um, like the Brazilian narrative or Brazilian identity. It's this deep rooting into indigeneity and Afro-Brazilian identity. But when she paints her other figures, it becomes quite clear that all she's doing is taking black imagery to placate the European audience and it's almost like this sort of, of weapon. I mean, it's taking something that she is not and she's speaking for a population that she is not part of and she is using this for her own material gain. We can really see this in her painting A Negra, which, like I said earlier, her family owned enslaved people. And what she does and what she's written about um, when she's speaking of A Negra is that she is looking at the black female figure as this sort of wet nurse. So she writes that growing up, she was somewhat raised by the black women that her family, of course, originally they were enslaved, but eventually they become, quote, employed by the family. And it's used as this sort of, like, connection um, to black identity in Brazil. Now, this painting, A Negra, was actually included in a MoMA exhibition about Dramaral. I believe it was last year. I didn't actually attend, but um, I read a couple catalog essays from, from it, and one of them talks about how this painting is just as much about Tarsila as it was about the subject. Because Tarsila felt that she had a personal connection and identified with the black population, which is super problematic because she was obviously in a position of power. Granted, she was a child, but her, sorry, her family was incredibly privileged and perpetuated a lot of problems, like racial problems, that were happening in Brazil. And to have a white woman <laughs> depict something this this racialized is very problematic to say the least. And I feel like I've said that a couple times about like the word using the word problematic, but it is absolutely problematic. I mean, you can't you you can't <laughs> speak for the experience of a person of color. I mean, I am not black, so I do not want to speak to the black experience. But I think it's important that scholars recognize the problems with not just Tarsila Dormeral's work, but with other works of this period that were using stereotypical um, physical descriptors for blackness and applying it to already marginalized individuals. And then in some cases, you actually have artists that take this on themselves. And one of those artists is a German immigrant um, named Lasser Segal, and there's no way of getting around that he is quite literally 
using black and brown face in his works. I mean, it's not just... It's not just the experiment of form, as a lot of scholarship has previously suggested. While it is the experimentation of form, it's also specifically pulling from um, black identity, and it's it's experimenting with form at the expense of what's called the other. Now, in a lot of cases, the other can refer to pretty much anything, but in this case, the other is specifically talking about the black individual in Brazil. Now, going back to A Negra, what we see in this painting is a nude black female. Her legs are sort of crisscrossed, she's seated, and she has one arm in front of her and it's underneath this rather enlarged and often described as saggy breast. And it's her breast is, is um, situated over her arm, over her forearm. And the facial features of this woman are incredibly large lips, a wide nose, and these sort of upturned, almost slanted eyes. And the figure doesn't have any hair, there's what might be a plant leaf in the background, and then sort of just this general color blocking of um, using neutral tones, like darker blues and browns. So the problems with this painting is that you're seeing very racialized um, stereotypes, specifically in the facial features. I mean, there's no way to get around the fact that this is, this is quite literally a racist painting, and it's not it's not, again, it's not just Doa Moral that is doing this, it's many of her contemporaries, and it's not just in Brazil, it's throughout Latin America, it's throughout the European primitive, primitivist movement, or, like, ideas, um, but, again, focusing only on one artist in one section of the world. But, I, I want to make that very clear. I'm not specifically attacking Dramorale. I'm Her work is just being used as an example for what was commonplace in this time period. And, y you know, like, it's, it's difficult to critique in a way that is redemptive. I mean, a lot of scholarship around primitivism or around the idea of the primitive tries to redeem it so that way modernism can be seen as still valid. I mean, it doesn't matter, like, what movement many scholars examine in rela in relation to modernism. There are just so many racial tensions that are happening. And what it is, is we need to look at the power structures of the country of the artists. While there is the argument that artist biography shouldn't be included in um, an analysis of, of their work, in, a, in the case of Domoral, I think it's incredibly important that we look at the artist biography, especially given that she has a family that participated in this in enslavement. And I think this adds so much to her work, or at least what adds to looking in it, at and examining her work because we have a better understanding of what she's coming from. I mean, this is this is a depiction of power structures and utilizing a marginalized ind individual for your own gain. Um, I'm gonna pause and then I'll return because I don't want this to just be a shitting party on Joao Morales. And I'm back. <laughs> okay, so I think it's important 
when considering Jamaral's work to really understand the moment that Brazil and many other Latin American countries are in um, at the time that this painting was produced. So it you really see this in um, Argentina, where you have what's called the whitening of the state. Basically, in Argentina and in other Latin American countries, you had the government quite literally perform acts of genocide against indigenous and black populations. And then you also have this sort of, um, in some cases, like a forced interbreeding between races to quicken the lightning. And then you also have governments sort of, I guess, siphoning or enticing immigrants from Europe that are sort of part of the peasant class so that they can have labor in the whatever Latin American country is like pulling them uh, to. And they made sure that in many cases that the immigrants were not of color. So they needed to be white, preferably non-Jewish. And in some countries, they even banned the immigration from Asia and Africa as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening, and this painting is very much a product of its time and a product of the ideologies that led to the forced killings of people of color. And then, yeah, like there's there's really just so much that that was going on in this period, and of course, way way too much to talk about in the span of a short time on a podcast, <laughs> but. Duran Morrell's position in society as a wealthy white woman whose family profited from slavery is something that we need to talk about, and it's really not talked about in a lot of scholarship around Tarsila Duran Morrell. I mean, I remember taking classes um, previously, and I don't think once it was mentioned that her family owned slaves, and that her family participated in the oppression of Afro-Brazilians. So this is something that we do need to talk about. And while we can appreciate, I hate to say merit, because of course, when you have the problematic exploitation of non-white individuals, especially in such an early period in many countries' development, I don't know, like it's, it. we need to talk about these artists because when this scholarship was first developing around Latin American um, art, it was a way to bring these artists to the table to say, hey, you know, Europe isn't the only one that had a modernist movement, that had modernist movements. We also had primitivism. We also had cubism. We also had insert whatever movement um, you want to talk about. And it's a way, it was a way to bring this region to the table. And that is important because we do need to continue talking about the artistic practice in non-Western countries. But at the same time, we also can't forget uh, the racial tension that this was formed in and that it perpetuated. I mean, this perpetuates the violence against Afro-Brazilians. It prevents perpetuates the violence against women, and it quite literally erases black identity by reducing them to a stereotype. 
Yeah, so, like, as much as people love the work of John Morrell, and as much as people love the work of many modern artists that come out of this period, it is important for us as scholars to critically analyze, especially given that this is 2020 and so much has changed for the better, I would hope. I mean, of course, like, there are still a lot of racial problems, but it's important to talk about it and to be more critical of not just the art, but of previous scholarship. So, yeah. Um, and, like, when looking at Dua Morale's work, I mean, we can definitely see the influence from her time in Paris. I mean, there's a flattening of the plane, the figure itself is becoming more um, two-dimensional rather than, I guess you could say, like, naturalistic. It's more stylistic. I'll be honest, even at this level, sometimes I use naturalistic, and I guess that's not the right way to use it <laughs> anyway. But, I mean, I think there's ways that we can look at these artists, whether they're from Latin America, or whether they're from the United States, or Europe. We can look at the work for what it is, and the movements that it either produced, or influenced, I guess you could say. But instead of glorifying the work that comes out of these movements, we should be more critical. And I guess that's where I'm trying to get to. Because, I mean, Domaral was an important figure in Brazilian art, but at the same time, the subject matter that she chose is quite problematic, and we need to look at it that way. So, yeah. I think, since I'm already hitting around like the 20-ish minute mark, I'll go ahead and close this up. Not to mention, I have so much reading and I think like two essays due by the end of this week. Anyway, um, yeah, so let me go ahead and I'll end there. If you have any questions about Brazilian modern movements, Tarsila Domaral, or if you want to add something, correct something, feel free to email me. Again, my email is artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, make sure you're following me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at ArtWatchPodcast. Don't forget, Mondays are now going to be Meme Mondays, so if you have any really great art history memes or related memes, please feel free to send them my way. Again, I will make sure to tag you, and then if you happen to know the creator or if you created it yourself, let me know and I'll give them credit. Again, I have Patreon. It's patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast. I will link it in the bio of this. Um, yeah, I hope you have a great week. Make sure you get out and vote. I know Halloween is coming up. Please don't go to any parties. Be responsible. Wear your mask if you go out. And let's help stop the spread of coronavirus. Um, okay, have a great week. Bye. Bye.